Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab your seats. And as you do, can we welcome everybody who's online watching right now, our church family extended abroad. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube. And, and the men of Lansing Correctional, we celebrate you. And come on, we do better than that. Let's give it up for those. I'm going to get right to it today because I have a lot to say. Um, and I know it's going to be a bit different than normal on a Sunday. Uh, I always love to bring a message that is... Um, relatable to your everyday life, something you can put into practice, not even on Monday, you can use it Sunday afternoon. Uh, but this message I know will actually speak to you, but I think it speaks to um, anyone who's clued in or leaning into anything that's going on in the world. What is God up to in the midst of all this craziness? So I'm actually speaking uh, from the title of what in the world is going on? Come on, every parent that's walked into a home that you were gone a little longer than you thought, you got kids running around, you look around, it's chaos. And you say, what in the world happened here? And in our world right now, I think our Heavenly Father's looking down and He knows what's going on. And He's got a part for us to play. Uh, we don't just spectate to culture. We don't just spectate to what's happening in the world. We participate because we're a part of this kingdom. It's bigger than our nation. It's everlasting. It's the kingdom of God. So today, uh, you're gonna get a lot of scripture. You have a note card on your seat. Today is a day you take notes. Write down the scripture references because there are a lot of them. So you need to buckle up, buttercup, okay, and hold on and take notes because we are a little bit different today because we're living in different days. And um, we've been preaching through the whole Bible this year as we've been reading it as a church family. And we're just taking a pause from that even for a few weeks because I just think God wants to speak to our church. If you're a guest here, welcome to the family today. I know you're gonna get something great out of this, but I think God wants to speak to our church and clarify all the chaos that is going on around us. So it's different because we're living in different days. And I don't normally dabble um, from the platform at least too much in, in end time stuff. Uh, the theological word there is like eschatology, like we, we, don't, we normally are speaking to present day and, and God's purpose and God's potential. But in the midst of all just the panic in this world, I know God has something. And I really feel like this message, if you lean in, I'm going to let the scripture speak for itself. Scripture is both historical and applicable. And the scripture we're going to be in today is both historical, applicable, and prophetic. And between the past and the present, we have participation. We've got a part to play in the here and now. Because in light of this, the world events, we know more than ever the world needs Jesus. And my heart as a pastor, and Liz and I's heart for our church, um, is that you would get clued in to your part in a bigger story, bigger than just what you're facing in your coming week, bigger than just the thing you're needing God to fix in your life. I believe he's faithful to do that. But there's just a bigger story that's been going on from creation to the culmination of all things. And here we are. I believe God has positioned us for such a time as this. Now the climax of human history has not happened yet and yet it feels like it feels like more of it is occurring by by the day, by every single week. But you could actually have said that like hey, it's the end times. You could say that uh, man, through many times in human history. Even in the last 110 years, we've had the Great War, we've had World War II, we've had the Cold War. 1988, all sorts of crazy stuff was happening. The fall of communism, Iran and Iraq at war. There was uh, Russia leaving Afghanistan. There was, there was craziness in the world. In fact, so many people were proclaiming and declaring, hey, God's coming back in 1988, 1989. And here we are, you know, nearly, nearly 40 years later from that. And, and, and there's still tension and there's still craziness in the world. 
1 Thessalonians 4, this won't show up on the screen, but Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Thessalonica and he says, hey, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. In other words, hey, you could, he's speaking at that moment in context about what happens when we die and, and yet Jesus hasn't yet returned. What happens to the believer in that in-between zone? And we really live in this in-between zone between the risen Jesus and the returning Jesus. But he says, hey, brothers and sisters, hey, family, I don't want you to be uninformed. So you could be in the family, but not in the know. And my heart for us is that we would, we would know what is happening. The, the only ones that really don't know the dealings or the tensions of a family are the young children. So maybe it's a time for us as a church to, to mature up, to grow up, to lean in, to learn, and to activate our opportunity that God has before. So what in the world is going on? I think a follow-up question to that is, what is God asking of us? What's our part to play? What does God desire for us? We are 6,500 miles away from Jerusalem. But because of our phones, it's not out of sight. It's not out of mind. Definitely shouldn't be uh, away from our hearts as well. In fact, we should not only understand what's happening, but understand what's being asked of us. First Chronicles chapter 12, it talks about this, this individual group of, of, of Hebrew, of, of Jewish people, this individual uh, family. They're, they're called the tribe of Issachar. There's about 200 leaders of this tribe and all their relatives. In fact, one translation calls them 200 chiefs, so it connects with Kansas City. That's not prophetic, that was a horrible joke. It says, these men, these people, they understood the times. They understood the signs of the times. They just understand what was going on. The Bible actually says, and they knew the best course to take. They knew what God was asking of them. They knew the direction they were called to go. And I just want to say this. That God doesn't just have a heart for Israel. God doesn't just have a heart for Christians. God has a heart for all of humanity. God has a heart for Palestine. God has a heart for Ukraine. God has a heart for Russia. God has a heart for all of humanity. He sent Jesus for every single person to have an opportunity to have an everlasting relationship with him. But God also has a plan for you. In the midst of the pain in this world, God has a church. God has a people. And we have a part to play. Can we pray? Come on, let's get our hearts ready. Let's get our minds ready. Uh, not just to be entertained or get more information, but truly to hear from heaven, to hear from the Holy Spirit that leads to transformation. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're meeting with us, that when we woke up this morning, there was a fresh dose of your grace and mercy, and God, we need it. The days that we live in, they feel so perilous, but you have a purpose in it. And Lord, you're with us. Even in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of the season we're in, there's something even more significant for us to be a part of. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in to unite us together as a, a family of faith. Even in this room, I think there's some people that are lost or far from you. They're gonna come home today. Today is a spiritual homecoming. But Lord, you have a heart for all of humanity and know that, that we, wanna be, we wanna be participants in your plan. We wanna fulfill our purpose. So help us take steps closer to our calling today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Can I get a big, loud 11 a.m. Amen? Amen. 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 Definitely crazy days we live in. Uh, last three years plus, man, they've been absolutely unbelievable. Who would have thought that the world would shut down, that there would be a, a pandemic around the world? With that, even in our own nation, there's been injustice, there's been division, there's been strife, there's been infighting, there's been financial uncertainty in the world. A few years ago, they had the collapse of Afghanistan. We've got Russia invades Ukraine, and now we have a war in the Middle East in response to a terrorist attack. And 
not just any nation. It seems like the Middle East always has turmoil, but this is, this is Israel. Not just any country. This is one that is, that is filled with our word, and I still think filled with a purpose from God for, for his people. As you know, October 7th, last Saturday, there was a, an attack um, from Hamas. Hamas is the, the, the thugs that rule in Palestine, and they carried out an attack on, on, on innocents and, and civilians. Um, you might not know this even about Israel, but Israel is only a nation of 9 million people, 2 million of which are not Jews. They're, they're Arabs. They're, they're Muslims that live there as well. So this is really complex, and there's, there's tons of believers there as well. But if you just think about our, our darkest day as a nation, September 11, 2001, we lost uh, 2,977 victims in those attacks. But we also have 340 million people. Israel has 1,300 lost from October 7th, and that number continues to climb and continues to, to, to go on. But that would be equivalent to us of losing 50,000-plus people in a single day. And you just have to think about, how does a, a nation roughly the size of New Jersey have so much conflict and so much, so much chaos, so much attack? There must be more to the story. And I don't know about you, but it is sickening sometimes to see the response of some people. Yes, like we stand with all people and all injustice, but we definitely don't promote places of pain and terrorism and the attacks. And I know there's multiple sides to the story, but we stand on the story that is for life, for blessing, and fulfillment. I just let you know where we stand as a church, we stand with Israel. Anytime that there are people are killing innocents, that are kidnapping babies, the elderly, the unarmed, this is evil and demonic days because there's an enemy on the earth. Jesus told us this, did he not? That comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he also made a promise that he's come to give us, those that believe him, follow him, give us life and life in all of his fullness. But we have to be people that speak out. We got to be people that know what we're really talking about. Uh, it's Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the the great German pastor, writer, and theologian who was in, in Nazi Germany and could not stand all the injustice he saw. So he, he said something, he stood up, and he ended up going to a concentration camp. He ended up losing his life. But he said this, silence in the face of evil, it, it, it is itself evil. And God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And injustice is in our nation, it's around the world. And we gotta be able to people that actually have something to say about it. Let me just say this. God hates murder. God hates uh, death. Jesus' response to Lazarus being dead, the shortest verse in the Bible says that Jesus wept, but that word wept means he grieved loudly because God cares about his children. The second recorded sin in the Bible is the, the shedding of innocent blood. It is Cain taking his brother Abel's life. And the Bible actually says in, in Genesis 4 that the blood cried out from the ground for justice, for vengeance. So what in the world is going on? First and foremost, you need to understand this is not a surprise to our God. It might be a wake-up call to activate us as a church to pray and not to say, hey, we're going to pray about it. No, to actually pray, God, would you bring protection? Would you bring peace? Would your plan prevail. I think it gives us a wake-up call to actually witness to the world around us because we don't know how long we have here on the earth. And even if God, Jesus isn't returning in the next couple of years or the next couple of centuries, you only have 80 plus years or so on the earth. And you want to make sure that your life matters where it counts the most. And we also need to build the kingdom of God with a sense 
of urgency. The American church, not everywhere, I believe, pray, not here, but maybe for some of us here, it's kind of fallen asleep. Fallen asleep and thinking about what, what can God do for me? And what does God have for me? And oh, I believe your heavenly father has so many good things in store for you. I think every promise in God's word, the Bible says, is yes and amen in Christ for you. I think he wants your marriage to prosper and thrive, your children to go on to change the world. I think he's got so many good things for you, but we also want to be a part of the promise and potential of what he does through the church to the world around us. And my end time thoughts um, are that it seems like the signs of the times uh, of Jesus' returning are increasing with more frequency and more intensity. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Jesus gives his own eschatology in Matthew chapter 24. In fact, we'll look at it at the very end of our message, but let me just give you some cliff notes on it. Jesus says, hey, you'll know when, when I'm coming back, when, when there's false prophets and false teachers and we're getting away from the gospel. We, we, he says well, there'll be wars and threats of wars or rumors of wars. There'll be a nation against nation. In fact, the word he used there is ethnos versus ethnos, ethnic versus ethnic battles. How many know we have that even right here in our own nation? There'll be famines and disease and earthquakes and natural disasters. There'll be an increased persecution against believers. There'll be a falling away from the truth. And godlessness is not only tolerated, but it's celebrated. And he says these signs will increase like birth pains. Like they'll come more and more and they'll be more and more painful until the delivery of the child or until the return of Jesus. So here we are. We have lots of scriptures today. We're going to look at the past. We're going to look at the prophetic. And we're going to find our place, our place in the middle. And you need to understand that as we're talking about when the world is going on, that there is a covenant and there's covenants. And in the midst of those covenants, there is conflict and crisis. And in the midst of that, there is a calling of God's people. A covenant and a conflict and a God calling. Genesis chapter 12 Verse 1, Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. It's just good to know that, that, that Abram was called out of Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. It was modern day, uh, modern day would be like, it was Babylon in the Bible, it's modern day Baghdad. It was the most advanced city in the world. And he says, I'm calling you out of the world, so follow me into the wilderness, because I'm going to put you in a place of promise. As you, as you follow me. He says, you're going to leave your people and your father's household to the land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So God singled out this one man who followed by faith into the unknown. And, and the ancient world now meets us in the modern world. And he says, I made you an everlasting, I made an everlasting covenant with you that there's a blessing attached to you, to your people, to your heritage, to your lineage, to the families, and to your descendants. This promise becomes a, a blood covenant. It's not just words, it actually comes into sacrifice. A blood covenant in the ancient world was this solemn and binding agreement between two parties. It was established for a few things, for the preservation and security of those people, for mutual benefit between the parties, for prosperity or blessing, and for territory and alignment. So Abram gets up and he leaves Ur and enters the land of Canaan, and God appears to him again. And verse 7 says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, go for your offspring, or the Hebrew word there, your seed. I will give this land 
And so he built an altar there. He finally found that place of purpose. But he says, your offspring will be blessed. But this, this presents a problem for Abram because he has no kids. He has no son. He has no, he has no heir. Sarah could not get pregnant. And, and they were getting up in age and, and old in years. And so they decided, you know what? We're going we're gonna to take matters into our own hands. And Sarah says, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be able to fulfill this promise. I don't think God's going to make good on his word. Uh, why don't you take my, 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 my servant? We'll take one of the maidens in my, my, under my care. I'm going to give you Hagar. And, and you're going to have a child through her. And she, she gives birth. You just think about Abram. It's like his, his wife is saying, hey, you could sleep with one of my younger servants. Notice he does not fight her in this thing. Although he should have. He didn't hold to the promise. And then there's the birth of Ishmael. The, the almost there. The day he has a child, now he has an heir, but it's not the heir of the promise. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and greatly increase your numbers. The Bible says that Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will we be called Abraham, which means exalted father. You'll be called Abraham, which means the father of many, the father of many nations. And so the blood covenant happens in the moment. You can read on. There, there's a circumcision. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it. Just don't do image search. <laughs> in verse 18 and 19, Abram said to God, okay, thank you for that covenant promise to my lineage. Um, here's Ishmael. May Ishmael be the one that would live under this blessing. And God says, yes, Ishmael will be blessed. But that's not the promise I have for you. Your wife, Sarah, will, will bear you a son, and you're going to call him Isaac. I'm going to establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And Abraham, or Abraham now, he laughs, and Sarah laughs because it seemed ridiculous. I think if you don't have something you're believing and contending for in your life that is laughable, then you might need some bigger faith. But God makes good on his word. God makes good on his word. I just want to tell you, it was one man who followed God, and then there was a, a supernatural son. It's a supernatural birth. They should not have been able to conceive. They could not conceive. God made them conceive a supernatural son. But God then, a few years later, maybe 14, 15, 16 years later, Genesis 22, the Bible says, sometime later, God tested Abram. He said to Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. How I many know oh, God just raised the bar a little bit? God not only made good on his promise, but then he said, hey, I want you to return that promise back to me. I want you to make a sacrifice to seal this covenant with me. And we know that Abram went up there with Isaac, and he was, they, they carried the wood up for the wood sacrifice. And he actually got ready to, to, to take the life of his son on the altar before God. And God said, no, 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 slowed him down. Stop right there. He provides a ram in the thicket for him to make the sacrifice. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, Abram went to that moment knowing that, believing that God would actually raise his son from the dead. Because willing, Abraham well was willing to make the sacrifice, and God was just so pleased with his faith, not only did he make a covenant, but God then carried his own part of the covenant himself. Do you know that Christ was slain on Calvary's cross on that same mountain 1,900 years later? 
Do you see how there's a bigger story at play? That there was a, a son, a son of supernatural birth, our Savior. That, that Jesus, Jesus was the one who went up on that hill willingly, and God did not withhold, not withhold the sacrifice in that moment because there's an establishment of a, of a new covenant. Genesis 22, back to the story. When the angel stops and the angel of the Lord said to Abraham for a second time, after he told him, no, 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 don't take Isaac's life. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and, are not, and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemy. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. How can one man through his descendants bless all the nations of the world? Well, Matthew chapter one shows us how. Matthew chapter one is the gospel written to the Jewish audience. And it takes us the very first chapter is a genealogy of Jesus' birth. Every one of his fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers lined up in a row. And it starts with Jesus. And we know that God is the father of Jesus. But Joseph, the natural father, the one that would raise him on the earth, you take his lineage all the way back and it leads us right to Isaac and Abraham. That God made good on his promise of covenant. So Isaac was a promised one a supernatural son, spared from a sacrifice, but willing to be sacrificed. Jesus, he's the promise. There's a covenant there. Covenant for us as Gentiles, as outsiders. Supernatural son with a sacrifice and a surrender. Because of covenant, listen, with God, and the enemy that so hates the people of the covenant, both the, 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 the Jewish heritage, but also the believer, the Gentile who's been brought in, because of covenant is a direct threat to the kingdom of darkness. Because of covenant, there will always be conflict and crisis until God settles everything in the culmination of all things. We're going to live in the tension of both the promise and the pain and the problems. Both in the covenant and in the conflict. Remember verse 3 of Genesis 12. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Just as a church, I'll let you know, we've already been a blessing to Israel this last week. We gave sacrificially to gospel-centered evangelism and aid to the people in need. And we'll give to all parties and all things, but we want to go where the gospel is going out because that's the covenant that is lasting and everlasting. Revelation chapter 12. Are you all ready? Book of Revelation. Come on. We don't, we don't go there often, Kingdom City, but we're going there today. Now, Revelation is both this, this story that is, has happened and is happening and will happen. And it says that this woman, this woman, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. In other words, he's going to rule the world. And her child was what? Snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, let me just ask you a question. Who does that sound like? One person. Is there anyone else? Who does that sound like? It's like going to Sunday school. You don't know the answer. The answer is Jesus. There's one child born that will rule over the world, but he's been brought out, brought up to the throne of God. All tracking with me? Are we confused or are we interested? Okay. But verse four, obviously the verse that precedes five, says that there's an enemy there. It says there was a dragon that stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment he was born. There's a covenant and there's a conflict. 
there's an enemy that tries to consume the plan of heaven. But that dragon does not win. The child is born. The child will rule and reign. The child was sacrificed and surrendered on the cross so that we can have covenant relationship with God. And this causes conflict. Revelation 12, now verse 13. Then the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth. What did he do? He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. You see, there's the imagery and the connectivity between Israel and the enemy of us all, Satan. That the enemy is after to to destroy what is close to God's heart. And yes, all people, all people are close to the heart of God. But there's a dragon on the loose trying to intimidate, to attack, and to annihilate God's people. But this conflict cannot cancel out the promised one. It could not stop Isaac, and it will not stop Jesus. In Matthew 24, Jesus told his disciples, by the way, who were all Jews, that they would be hated by the world for his sake. And I just, if you think about a nation of 9 million, if you think about a nation the size of New Jersey, like how do you explain the Holocaust? How do you explain that six, maybe seven, maybe eight million people of Jewish descent were murdered in Nazi Germany? Come on, there's got to be more to the story. How do you explain in our Bible that, that Pharaoh tried to kill out the deliverer, Moses, in that story? By, by, by slaughtering all the sons of the Hebrew people. How do you explain that King Herod, King Herod tried to kill out all the young Jewish boys, three years and younger, in the birth of Jesus to stop the promise. There's a plan from the enemy to devour the plan of destiny and purpose of heaven. Prophet Joel says in Joel chapter one, verse 19, Egypt will become a waste and Edom will become a desolate desolate wilderness because of, and here's a key word for us to look at, the violence, the violence done to the sons of Judah in whose land they have shed innocent blood. Guys, if you're reading this prophetic passage, you are seeing what is happening today. Does this mean we're in the end times? I do not know. I just know we're seeing signs of the times, the plan of the enemy, so that why? We can be alert and aware so we can fulfill the plan of heaven. The plan and potential of God. It talks about Pharaoh, which is talking about, I'm sorry, it talks about um, Egypt, which would be Pharaoh who tried to slaughter the Hebrew kids. And it talks about um, Edom. Do you know that King Herod was an Edomite? Like, this is direct connection to stopping deliverer, the, the promised one, the one that would rescue God's people. The enemy is out to cancel the calling. And so this is why the conflict continues. And friends, it will continue until God renews all things. Genesis, 11, or Genesis chapter 6 talks about the renewal. There was already been a renewal before. The renewal was the flood where God, God had one man of righteousness, one family that followed him. God had this, this Noah and Noah was there. And the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, it wasn't just about his family. He was publicly declaring that, hey, you need to follow God. And then he built, he built this, this ark. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, I want you to see key words here. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. There's that word again. Psalms 1, I'm sorry, Psalms 11, verse 5 says, The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a 
a passion, a passion. So what are we seeing in our world? We're seeing this violence. That word violence in the Hebrew occurs about 60 or so times. God can't stand. There was violence in, in, in Noah's day. There was violence in Jesus's day. There was violence in Egypt. There's been violence today. There's violence. Now Hamas is an acronym with several Arabic words, all of which I can't pronounce. But it's an acronym that says the word Hamas actually in, in Arabic means zeal, strength, or bravery. But do you know what that word violence translates in, in Hebrew? It's the word Hamas. It, it means literally violence. And I'm not singling out individuals. I'm definitely not talking about Palestine. I'm talking about a spirit that mutilates, attacks, murders, kills, tries to bring fear and destruction to the world. When it says in, in, in the passage in Genesis, it's talking about Noah's day, it says it was filled. You know, another word for that word filled is possessed. That there is just a demonic influence on the earth that brings violence. And it's not just one terrorist group, it's the spirit of the enemy. I know this is getting pretty apocalyptical, but it's the dragon, it's Lucifer, this is heaven and hell, God versus the devil stuff. But I'll tell you this, the covenant remains for those that believe. And in the midst of conflict, there is a calling for your life, on your life. And there's an enemy that tries to stop you. Genesis 6, 13, God said to Noah, I'm gonna put an end to the people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I'm surely gonna destroy both them and the earth. Ezekiel 28, verse 16, as some of you that love eschatology, you're loving Ezekiel 28 right now. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. He's actually speaking about Lucifer. And you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I, I expelled you. There has been a battle from before time as we know it began. In Noah's day, there was a great flood that canceled the conflict that stopped the violence. In Pharaoh, there was a Red Sea that covered over that canceled the conflict. In Jesus, there was a sacrifice that brought a wave of the grace of God that canceled the conflict of our sin and shame. Can we just thank Jesus for his sacrifice so we live in a covenant relationship with God? So there's been a covenant and there's a conflict, but there's also a calling. So all that stuff, wow, that's really cool. That's really interesting. Wow, that's maybe intimidating. I never knew that before, but what do we do about it? That's the part I want to get to, because that's the most important part. Not that we would understand the times only, the signs of the times, like, like the men of Issachar, but we would know what to do. What course do we take? So we need to be like the Abrams that go where God calls us. We need to be like the, the Moses to deliver people out of the tyranny and slavery of Egypt into the liberty and freedom of God's promised place. We need to be like the, like the Noah that builds something that's bigger than himself, something that outlasts his own life that lives on beyond him. Genesis 5, verse 29, he named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in labor and the painful toils of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. It's a curse on the earth because of pride and sin. And yet God will cover this curse, renew this. We know that he's done that through Christ and yet we live in the now and still not yet. Do you know that? We live in the, the, the promise of the covenant and yet not the completion of the promise. 
Noah's name literally means comfort and rest. And we've been reading in our Bible, reading plan Isaiah. You know the passage from Isaiah. We always read it around Christmas time. It says, I'm going to give you a son. Unto you a child will be born. And, and he will be called, what's the first name? He will be called Comforter. What does the world need in the midst of conflict and chaos? They need comfort. They need peace. One of the other names of Noah, Noah's name actually means rest. That in the midst of a weary world that tries to take everything from you, that we can be at peace, at rest, even in the midst of conflict. Why? Because we have a covenant-keeping God. And so with Jesus, we are now. Those that should be outsiders are insiders, people of covenant, people of the calling. And what do we do? We bring comfort to the world around us. Like, no, what do we do? We build an ark. We build something that rises above the storms of this world. So when there is a great renewal of all things, by the way, heaven is in a place up in the sky. One day, if you read the book, it tells you that heaven is a renewal of life here on the earth the way that God always intended it to be like it was back in the Garden of Eden. But you build a, an ark to rise above the storm, abide, rise above the reset. To, for us, that means that we build the church. Rise above the judgment in the place of that renewal, that peace, that place of comfort. This is the calling of the church. Not to say just our family, just our church. No, we are preachers of righteousness. We are people that bring comfort to a weary and broken world. We're the people that speak the truth, but we do it in love. We're the people that serve, but we serve with the mentality that we want to minister to their greatest need. They need God. They need Jesus. And so... In the midst of all this chaos and shaking, God is up to something great. I love what Christine said on Thursday night. If you're not, weren't here, you need to watch it. It's actually what I said in the beginning of that revival. It's like, I, I really feel that we're on the precipice of this, like the greatest days of America, of the church, around the globe, of us awakening to purpose. Why have the days gotten so dark? From COVID to to crazy politics and all the injustice in the world because God, the enemy always overplays his hand. By the way, if you're facing things you never thought you would face and don't know how you're gonna make it through, I'm gonna declare over you from the covenant-keeping power of God, you will not only make it through, but God will renew you and redeem you through it all. We're gonna make it. So Jesus' is eschatology, what does he say? He says, it's going to be like in the days of Noah, Matthew 24. But about the day or hour, he says, of his return, listen to what he says, no one knows. So if you got that guy on TV who's telling you for three payments of $29.99, he's going to give you his end times revelation, he doesn't know. Not even the angels in heaven. Listen to this, nor the son, Jesus, only the father. There is one thing that God kept from Jesus. I don't even know how that fully works in this triune God, but there's just one thing Jesus didn't know. He doesn't know that day. So anybody that says that they know and have it all figured, that's why I never get up here and say, I know we're coming to the end of all that. No, I'm just saying this is what it was, and this is what it will be, and this is where we are. If you would have asked me maybe four or five years ago, I thought the end days were way farther down the line. And sometimes I actually pray that they are. Don't get me wrong, to be absent with the body, to be present with the Lord, I would love that, but there's so much more to do on the earth. But I, I, don't, I, I don't know. And if Jesus doesn't know, nobody knows. But he says, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's Jesus. 
For the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what had happened until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be coming in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women grinding at the hand mill, one taken, the other left. The stuff about Jesus' teaching we don't always go into, do we? You don't hear this one all that often. Therefore, what do we do? Keep watch. Come on, keep your head on a swivel. Understand what's going on. Understand the signs of the times and know what to do about it. Because you do not know which day the Lord will come. But understand this, if you did know, if you were like the owner of a house that knew what time the thief was coming in, you would keep watch and would not let the, this happen. It wouldn't let your house get broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you did not expect him. Okay, so all these things. There's a covenant, there's conflict, and, and, and then there's, there's a calling. What does that look like? Well, I've already tipped my hat a little bit. The building of the ark is the building of the place where God's people rise above. This is a place where we build. Listen, we build the church, and I'm not talking about just Kingdom City Church, although we need to keep building. Uh, more about that in November 12th when we have a Vision Sunday together, where we're going, what we're doing, not just for our city, what we're going to do around the world. But we, we, we build. But we don't just build buildings of stone and drywall and paint. We build people. And this is why I brought a message today that's way different than normal because we need to be different than this world. And we need to be aware. We need to be loving. And we need to be caring. And we need to be sacrificial. We need to be servant-hearted. We, we need to be the last people to judge and the first people to love. But we also need to understand that there is a, I, I want to call it a burden. I'll call it a responsibility. A people that know the truth about the covenant we have in Christ, not based upon our merits or our works, but based upon him canceling our sins on the cross. We need people to understand the truth that sets us free is not our behavior modification, but he was broken so that we could be made whole. We also know the truth that we were once lost until we were found by the Spirit of God investigating our hearts and our response was what we will call salvation. And in the same way that you were reached one day, we have to reach the world around us. Whether they're acting like a terrorist or it's just your neighbor. Whether they're acting like a, a crazy person or they just are living a nice, normal life. Everybody needs Jesus. So as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be that there's gonna be people that are building something that's bigger than themselves. I'm just inviting you after service. We have our next steps. Build. Build is about how do we build something bigger than ourselves? How do we get involved in what God's doing? The thing that's going to outlast us, this everlasting thing called the kingdom of God. I don't have time. I'm out of time. You guys get anything out of this today? I hope you get more than just a little in times education. I hope it changes you. It's challenging and changing me. I told this story in a couple of the services a few weeks ago, but Jesus tells this parable to warn those that think they're ready, but they're actually not. It's in Matthew 25. For time's sake, you have to read it on your own. There's these, these virgins waiting for the groom, and they've got this lamp. They've got their own lamp, and half of them allow it to run out of fuel, run out of fire, run out of oil, and the other half have it. There's half they get it right. It's, it's ready to, to illuminate the way for the, 
the, the, the groom to show up. The groom, of course, in the story, it's Jesus. Jesus is returned. The, the, those that, are, that, that they should be in, but they're not because they let the fire go out. Oil could mean a lot of things. It means anointing. It means illumination. But I like the idea of Jesus says, we're like this lamp on a stand that gives light to the whole house. We're like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Don't let that light be extinguished. It's time for the light to shine brighter than ever before. And in the midst, as a person who's received this covenant of grace, in the midst of all the conflict in the world and in your world, you have a calling to bring that light to the world around us. That's why we have to take seriously the opportunities given to us. The Holy Spirit, that's another oil reference in the Bible. But Jesus says that the gift of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, there's all sorts of beautiful things that he does in us and through us, but first and foremost, that comforter, the Holy Spirit, that helps us be a bold witness to the world, helps us live different, share the gospel, to engage with those that are being killed, stolen from, and destroyed by the enemy so that they can have life and life in its, in its fullness. But we're gonna go through, because we're covenant keepers, covenant people. We're going to go through some conflict, but I promise you this. There's a calling and there's comfort for you. Romans 8, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we got conflict, if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? By the way, here in, in the middle of America, for the mass majority of us, this is not what we're facing. We're getting lulled to sleep and entertained and distracted and complacent. But we have a supernatural calling to do something that's everlasting. And he quotes, Apostle Paul quotes uh, the Psalm, says, for your sake we are killed every day and being slaughtered like sheep. Man, that's, that's what's going on around the world. No, despite all these things, despite all the conflict, Beside all the turmoil, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. The covenant remains. It is yours. Conflict will happen. Jesus says, in this world, you will have many trials, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He has overcome what you're currently facing. He's overcome what we will face in the future. We're going to have some things that we're walking. We're going to have some conflict. Why? Because we're people that are called by God. We have a covenant to, to, to hold on to and to share with the outsiders in our world. We've got a world to pray for. We've got a world to witness to, to engage. And we, it's sometimes easier for you to pray for what's happening in overseas than what's happening in your own neighborhood, in your own workplace. Let's be people that don't let our lamp go low. Let's keep it filled up. Let's keep our provision up. Let's keep our, our intimacy with God up. Let's keep our perspective and eyes up. Let's keep our head looking around and watching and seeing, where could God use me? Where can I build the ark a little bit? Where can I add my talent? Where can I bring my time? Where can I put my treasure in something that is lasting and everlasting? Take heart, he has overcome the world. And this is the calling of the church in days like this. Not to get into infighting, not to get into bickering, not to try to posture and pretend like you're better than somebody else. Who cares? Not to gossip and, and, and just get your ears scratched with a little bit of teaching here and there. No, no, no. We've got something to build together that weathers the storm and lasts for forever. Your family has a part in the ark. And we've got to make more room for God's family to find their place 
to find their purpose, to receive that covenant gift of Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for every life here. I thank you for every one of your sons and daughters in this room, online, at Lansing, that you care so deeply about. I don't know the conflict they're in right now, but God, you do. I thank you that you have already sent your comforter. You've already sent Jesus to give them this covenant relationship with you. God, I thank you, you're always gonna keep your end of the deal. But I even pray that comforter of the Holy Spirit shows up in the midst of whatever problem or pain that they're facing right now. And God, I thank you, you would bless them like you blessed Abraham, would you bless them as they follow you? As they maybe step out of their comfort and follow you, would you bless them significantly? Would you bless their marriages? Would you bless the raising of their kids? Would you bless their career? Would you bless them with every blessing that comes from heaven? Let them experience it here on the earth. But Lord, I think they are blessed to be a blessing. We've received the blessing of Jesus so we can bless the world around us. Let us be people so bold in our witness and big in love that we can engage with people that don't look like us, don't act like us, don't talk like us, don't maybe even think they can fit in with us and say, no, once we were outsiders, but we've been brought close to the heart of God because of this covenant through Jesus. And let us share Jesus with the world. Let us be builders in the ark, builders in the church. Let us be those that have our flame on high, our fuel on high high so the world can see this light of the world Jesus that lives on the inside of us. God, I thank you that there be a great move of God through this church, a great move of God through the families of this church, a great move of God through the individuals of this church, for something that is bigger than ourselves. Stay in this moment of prayer. Keep your head bowed, eyes closed. Listen, if you do not have Jesus at the center of everything, then your whole life is out of alignment covenant is not based upon our sacrifice it's based upon Jesus he went first but you have to receive it Abraham the Bible says followed God's voice by faith and it was accounted unto him as righteousness or right standing with God so our parts place is when God's voice speaks we obey and I'm telling you right now there's people in the room God is speaking to your heart he's saying hey I need you back home I'm calling you back I'm calling you into to receive forgiveness maybe even give forgiveness I'm calling you out of maybe being jaded at life are cynical about your life experience and just come closer to me. And I'm calling you out of darkness and into my wonderful light. So you don't have to live in the chaos and the conflict anymore. You can receive your calling, you can receive your comfort, you can receive this covenant. Jesus is the only way. That is the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father apart from me. So your good works cannot save you. Your family of spiritual heritage does not save you. Only your own personal decision to put your faith in our covenant-keeping God. And the sacrifice he made on the surrender of the cross is what saves you. For some of you, it's time to pray this prayer, this prayer of faith, this prayer of declaration that answers that voice that's whispering to your heart that says, God, I'm in on you. I received this gift. And some of you, it's time to come back home. You've been, you've been living like the world or, or living less than God's best. You know, you got to come back to putting Jesus at the center of it all. Either one of those are you. First time decision. Or to come back home to this family of faith. Come back home to Jesus at the center of your life. Maybe to, to fill your lamp back up with it. And say, Jesus, you get to go first. If that's you, no one looking around. We're going to pray a prayer all together as one family, one spiritual family. That is you, though. This is your moment of decision. You're ready to say yes to Jesus or come back home to him. We just lift up against the pastor crowd, that's me today. I want to go one, there's two, there's three, anyone else, four of you, five of you, six of you, seven of you, eight of you, I see you, sir. 
that's awesome. Maybe that's you online. Maybe that's you at Lansing. God sees you. God sees you. Let's pray this prayer of salvation all together. Come on, everybody can put your heads up, eyes open. Best part. Come on, this is, what, this is building the ark right here. This is adding more families to this covenant protection and, and God plan for all of humanity. Come on, let's pray this together. Say, thank you, God, for loving me. You care about me. You sent your one and only son to die on a cross, to pay for my sins so I could be forgiven. I receive that gift. I receive your grace. I turn from my old ways. I'm following after you. From this moment on, my life is yours. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Help me be a light to the world around me. Help me fulfill my calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, can we celebrate and surrender? All the people that surrender their life to Jesus. God bless you, church. I love you.